we're going into a series on Acts and on the church in the book of Acts, and what's been impressed on me is to remind us, before we even get into the message, is that this is not just about us. It will be about us. It'll be about us in, um, in, in Gate City Vineyard, but it will also be about, um, you know, the whole church of God throughout the world and also in Greensboro. When you look at the church in um, in Acts and in Revelation, when they talk about it, they don't say, oh, you know, and there's the First Baptist Church of Antioch, and there's Colossians City Vineyard. You know, they don't say that, right? They say the church in Colossae, the church in Antioch, the church in Smyrna, the church in Ephesus. And there might have been individual house churches in each of those cities, right? As they got bigger, more and more house churches would build, and probably they all had different flavors, those house churches, right? So maybe one house church got lucky and had a really good singer, and they had great music, and another house church didn't, and so they just kind of worshipped in silence. But, you know, they all had a little flavor. But all together, all those house churches were the church in Ephesus, the church in Smyrna, the church in Colossae. And I was at a retreat, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, uh, with some pastors in Greensboro, and all these different pastors together were praying for Greensboro, how we can make an impact, all loving Jesus, all wanting to see Jesus glorified in this city. And there were people from Anglican churches and Presbyterian churches and non-denominational and apostolic churches and all these different people together. And I just got this so clear feeling of this is the church in Greensboro. We're just one little house church. And then these are all these other house churches, but this is, we are part of the church in Greensboro. And so I really want us to remember that. I want us to be thinking about that, that we are here to care for each other and, and, and love one another and serve together. I hope we're going to be able to see some more of that working together with some of these other churches. As pastors, we prayed a lot about no competition between the churches. That seeing, you know, who's, how many people you got and how many people you got. And this person went from this church to that church. Like, I have zero interest in growing our church by just stealing people from another good church. Zero interest. Where's the kingdom growth in that? I mean, if somebody is, wants to come here, of course, come. But, but the point is the growth is when kingdom growth happens. That's when people who, are, who don't know Jesus come to know him, when non-believers come, when, when people who are prodigals come back. Right? That's where we want it. And we want to see all of our churches grow, all of our churches that are preaching in the name of Jesus. So I, I want us to pray for churches. We were all kind of convicted. There's uh, one guy named Marshall Benbow, who's the pastor of Grace Community Church. Maybe some of you know that church. Um, and he prays every week for all the church, uh, many different churches in the community um, and, and their pastors by name in the church service. And uh, my friend said to me, oh yeah, I, um, I was in church the other day and they prayed for you, me, particularly, and the, and the church, and our church. So we were prayed for at, Gates, at Grace Community Church. So I want to do the same. I, wanna, I want us to pray this morning for some of the other churches uh, in our community. So can we just bow for a moment? Lord God, I thank you that we are not just Gate City Vineyard, but we are part of the church in Greensboro the church in Greensboro, and we're part of the church, the Big C Church, all over the world. And so we pray this morning that we would, join, we would just imagine all these other churches all throughout our city gathering together this morning and worshiping. Maybe they're already on their second service. Maybe they already have had a couple already. Maybe they're just starting. Lord, would you bless them? Would you bless Marshall Benbow, who prays for us? Lord, would you pray, pray, bless Grace Community Church, Lord, and all that they're doing, the ministries, many ministries they have, their new worship leader, Lord, to help him to get just so settled and, and love it here, Lord. He's moved there here from Tennessee, Lord. Just bless him. Bless that church. May it multiply. 
Lord, I want to just pray also for Reggie Holiday of Bethany Fellowship Church. He's been kind of the leader of this, this triad pastors group. He's been pushing it forward. He is, he is a voice in the city for, for feeding the poor, for racial reconciliation. His church is just involved in so many ways. Lord, I just pray a blessing over his church, Lord. And what's going on this morning at Bethany Fellowship, Lord, that you just, just anoint the words that go out and people would be saved and people would be healed and set free, Lord, in that church. And I pray for William Wright across the street in Kingdom Life Community Center, right across the street from us, Lord. They're just getting going now, Lord. I just pray you bless him, Lord. He's relatively new here, Lord. Just bless that church, Lord, as they, they have all the same struggles we have with COVID and people coming and going and all of that. Lord, would you just bless them this morning? And God, there's just so many other churches we could bless, but we just pray that your word would go out with power and with, with winsomeness, with love, and many, 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 many would come to know you and see that you are Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. So we're going to be starting on um, the church, the church uh, in the book of Acts, Extraordinary People of God and the story of the people of the book of Acts. And I wanted to make this real to us because this is about real people in real life. And so we are going to do something a little interactive this morning, okay? And I'm going to call a few people's names. And when I do call your name, all you need to do is stand, Okay? I promise you won't have to say anything or do anything or go anywhere, okay? All you're going to have to do is stand. I won't embarrass you. Okay, you're just going to be part of like a visual tableau we're going to do for this church in the early church in the book of Acts, all right? We're going to imagine for a moment that we're in a first century medium-sized town in Palestine, all right? Some of those towns are, would have been predominantly Gentile. Some of them would have been predominantly Jewish. They didn't tend to mix so much. So this town, we're going to say, is predominantly Jewish, has some Gentiles, but predominantly Jewish, has a synagogue, has a market square where people come and do their business, and then going out from the middle of town, there's houses and then, and then, ta and then farms and so on as it goes out from the middle of town. Who do I pick on first? I'm going to ask Mike to stand. <laughs> Mike, Mike is an iron worker. He has a trade that he does that he learned from his father and his uncle. He has been helping out in the smithy shop from the earliest age. He loves the heat of the fire. He loves the, the, the glowing red metal. As he pounds it into shape, he makes plowshares and axes and, and sells them in the market square. He loves this work. And he and his wife have a little square house in the, in the center of town um, made of clay brick and a, with a courtyard in the back. And his wife cooks for the family, takes care of the kids. His worry is that there's an influx of Gentile traders coming in. And so they are also selling metal works and they're also selling plows. And so his business is starting to go down. And so he's worrying about, am I going to be able to make it go? Am I going to be able to feed my family? Am I going to be able to do this? He has a son who he hopes will want to take the business from him someday, but he's not sure. Stay standing, all right? All right. David Tackle, would you stand? David Tackle, not surprisingly, is an elder in, in the synagogue. He is a very learned man. He knows the, the word. He knows the law. And he d settles disputes using the law. He also, obviously, is very faithful to the synagogue. He's training up young men to be rabbis and elders as well. He loves training them up. He, um, as well, tithes regularly and, and loves being at the city gates, talking with the other elders, settling disputes, doing the work of a good Jewish man. His biggest problem is he's getting older, 
and his legs aren't working as well as they, he wants them to work, and he's got a funny lump on his leg that he doesn't know what that is, and it's sore, and he's wondering how long is it going to be that I can still go to the city gate. He's worried about that. Hmm, who else do I, do I call on? Mylene and Andy. Mylene and Andy are a farming family. They have a large family of boys, three big boys and girls. They have a large family that they inherited. Andy inherited it from his father before him and his grandfather before him. They've had this farm for years, for generations, and they work that farm so hard. They live in a cave that they've kind of built out. So in the back of the cave is animals, and in the front of the cave is where they, and the front part is where they live. Um, Andy does the same thing every day that he's done for his whole life which is he gets up early, he feeds all the animals, he tends to the farm. That's what he does. He's busy, busy, busy all day long. Thank God he's got those boys who can help him. They're strong, and they help him out there in the fields. Mylene also does the same thing she's done every day. She is making food. She's making bread out of barley and olive oil that she has pressed from the olives that she grows in her garden in the back. So she is doing all of that by scratch. She's sweeping out their dirt floor every day. She is taking care of the children. She's making clothes for the family, weaving. Busy, busy, busy. She's hoping someday there'll be a grandchild running around that she can see. Their biggest concern year after year after year after year after year is, is it going to rain? Will it rain? Will our crops come in? If they don't, it's a bad year. If they do, it's a good year. So they are so dependent on the weather. All right. And they love to bowl. And they love to bowl. Nah, that's out of context. All right, let's see. Elisa and Belinda, would you stand? These two young ladies are young women who were married to two brothers. They were married at a young age, 14 years old, and they have been having babies ever since. They have already three between them. They've lost one that was a sadness, but they know they're going to get pregnant more and more and more. They're going to have a house full of children before this is all done because they started early. And their biggest concern is just to please their husbands. And they just want to make home and make it nice. They're full of hope. They have a whole future ahead of them, and they're very joyful, those two girls. All right. How about Tim and Mary? Would you stand? Tim and Mary are very well-to-do. Tim has made very good money uh, in oils and spices. They live in a lavish stone home that is like in the Roman style. So they have a courtyard and a bath. Yeah, he's happy. He got the, he got the rich house. Um, they even are able to eat like wheat bread and eggs and meat every now and then that their servants prepare for them. But the biggest sadness is they never had any children. And so, you know, they were very much shunned in their community because of that. It was considered a a kind of a curse from God not to have any children, and they worry about it. What is, what's going to happen to us when we grow old? Who's going to take care of us? There's no safety net. They pray that their servants have loved them enough that they will take care of them in their old age. Two more. Jorge, would you stand? Now, of all these people, finally we get a Gentile. Everybody else has been Jewish, but Jorge is the Gentile. He's a Gentile trader who comes in, and, uh, you know, he has... Um, he has been coming in and he brings his goods to trade in the town and he moves on so he has linens and and fine cloth and he brings it in he sets up a tent he sells it in the marketplace and then the rest of the day he's got nothing to do so he sits by the edge of town he whittles he talks to people and then you know he doesn't know too many people in this town but he doesn't care he's on to the next town uh, as soon as he can after that 
And the last one, Gerard, would you stand? Gerard is a Roman soldier, also a Gentile. Um, difficult job. It's a predominantly Jewish town. He's been sent to protect the people and make sure they don't get out of line. So he's not super well liked by the Jewish people there, um, but he lives in fear that riots are going to come and get out of control and that he'll be blamed. The Romans are not a forgiving people. Now, think about all these people I just described. What strikes me, I don't know if it strikes you, is how ordinary they all are. Just regular people with regular concerns, just like you and me. How do I care for my family? Will my business succeed? Will we have enough money to care for everyone? Will my children turn out all right? What about my health? What about that funny thing on my leg? All of the same concerns that we have, the people had. Now, let's think about what they would have thought when Jesus passed through their town. Jesus probably passed through many towns that aren't recorded in Scripture. So let's just assume Jesus came through the town. What would each one of them have thought about Jesus? All right? Well, first of all, let's see. Let's start at the beginning. Mike. How would, what would Mike have thought about Jesus? Well, he said, I, you know, I, I saw him a couple times. I'm kind of impressed with him. He seemed interesting. Um, but Mike's really busy in his, in his Smith shop, so he doesn't have too much time to think about it. He would have liked to know more about him, but then he just found out they got killed. So, oh, well, back to work. That's pretty much what he thought. How about David? You know, a Jewish person, a, a, an elder. He watched this strange rabbi. He was listening he didn't say anything particularly wrong, but he seemed off somehow. He wasn't sure about him. All his colleagues are all up in arms about this guy. And David is a practical man, so he says, I don't really want to get involved. So he just went back to his books. How about Mylene and Andy? They're so busy on the farm, they never saw Jesus. I mean, they got, they're just working. They're working, working, working. They don't have time to go out to see you know, what's going on out there. So they have no opinion whatsoever. How about Tim and Mary? Tim and Mary are too highbrow to go out with the crowds and, and the rabble and see some rabble rouser. They don't go mix with those common people, so they never saw them either. They have no opinion about Jesus. How about the girls, Elisa and Melinda? Well, you know, they may have seen him, maybe when they were in the town, uh, seeing him, you know, heal somebody, and they might have been kind of excited about that. Wow, this is kind of interesting, but, but they were women. They have no voice. Their husbands would not have wanted to hear about it, and they had kids to tend. So again, sort of interesting, sort of intrigued, but no real opinion. And finally, we have Jorge, who, you know, he was interested at first because it was something diverting, because he's a little bored sitting out on the edge of town, you've got nothing to do. But he's a Gentile. This, he found out this guy's a Jewish rabbi, and he's like, I don't, I don't care about Jewish stuff. He's a good Greek. He worships Artemis and Athena and all the gods, so he didn't really care about any of that. And then finally, Gerard. What's his feeling? Thank God they got rid of that guy. He just creates all these crowds, all these problems. He made him nervous. Every time he'd come through, all the crowds would gather. So Gerard's just glad to be shot of it. All right. Thank you all. Give him a hand. I went through all of this to give you a visual, a strong visual, about all these people that would have been living in the time of Jesus and the time after when the church began. And, you know, we get this impression when we read the Bible that everybody was interacting with Jesus. It's because all the characters in the book is, are interacting with Jesus. But there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people who never, ever even saw Jesus. 
who never knew much about him, or maybe he was on the periphery of their life as a lot of these, these stories were, right? He was kind of there, but they're busy in their own life. They're trying to survive. There's no Medicare. There's no Social Security. There's no nothing, no safety net for these folks. They're just trying to live. And how many of them knew so little about Jesus? And it's in this way, I think, that the Bible is so real for us. We tend to think of it as very different than what we are, but actually it's a lot like us today because I really think the United States is becoming more and more like that early period where people are busy with their lives. More and more, you cannot assume that people know much about Christianity. Maybe at one time, a little bit more in our country, but certainly now more and more, people are less and less interested. We have a very pluralistic society. It's even coming true down here. It's even more so back up north where I come from. So, so people, you know, aren't necessarily looking for Jesus. They're not looking for faith. They're busy with their lives and what they're doing. And so people today are not much different than the people back then. But when the people in the, in the first century saw the church, the real church, acting like the church is meant to act, changed by Jesus, loving one another, filled with the Spirit, the power of God going out from them, the love of God coming into their communities and affecting all of those around them, when the people saw that, they joined they said, I want to be part of that. And the church grew miraculously with all those people, with all their stuff going on, and Jesus just sort of a person that came and went, and yet the church grew. The same can be true for us. The same is true for us. The story is for us. The extraordinary life together that the church had, the, the, the power, the effectiveness in their witness, the growth, even through struggle, God can do this in us too. And outside of these doors in Greensboro are all kinds of people, just like the people we just talked about, busy with their businesses and their families and their lives. And they're the ones that we're meant to go love and go serve and go be a witness to what Jesus has done in our life. Amen? Amen. This, is what, this is what we're here for. We're not really here for this moment. <laughs> we're here to go out and to serve and to love. We're going to talk about that today. So, so I'm excited about that. For, we're going to be talking about what that looks like for us as a church and as the church in Greensboro. Let's give a little background. We're going to go into a new book. I'd like to give a little background on the book before we do. So this is the book of Acts. It was written by Luke the physician. Um, it's considered to be a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. It's really Luke-Acts. So if you want to get the background to Acts, read Luke first and then read Acts. And Luke was, uh, Acts was well-researched. Luke was a smart man. He was, he was a scientific type as a doctor. And at the beginning of Luke, he says this, and it applies to both Luke and Acts. He says, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So that careful research carries through for Acts as well. Luke also traveled sometimes with the Apostle Paul, so uh, that's why sometimes he speaks in the third person and says they did this and that, and then other times he said we did this and that, because he was actually with Paul during a lot of the, the events that took place in Acts, so it's first person eyewitness in those cases. Acts was probably written around A.D. 62, because Apostle Paul had not been yet released and killed, and so that was a, just a little bit later, so they think it was around A.D. 62, about 30 years after the death of Jesus. So pretty close still, uh, very early in the formation of the church. Acts was written in Greek in the style of the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint. 
And some people think that that was deliberate, that it was meant to be sacred history, just like the Old Testament books of history. They call it salvation history, just like you can get military history, which is all about the you know, military efforts. You can have black history or women's history that talk about the efforts of African Americans or women. This is salvation history. It's the actions of God through, through the, the world and in salvation and bringing salvation to his people. And so a lot of books in the Bible would be called salvation history. They are actually historical books about what happened. Other books tell us other things. Proverbs, Psalms, their poetry and other things. But, but um, salvation history is actual history. So you have Genesis, uh, Exodus, Numbers, the history of the creation of the world and the starting of, of the nation of Israel. You have a lot of books in the Old Testament that are history as well. Joshua, Judges, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, Ezra, Nehemiah, all the history of the nation of Israel. And then in the New Testament, you have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of course, and Acts. So this is history that we're studying. Why do I say all this? Why am I spending all this time on this? Because our faith is a historical religion. It is based on facts. It's based on things that actually happen. It's not just an ideal or a philosophy, as many religions are. It is based on facts in the history that actually happened in the nation of Israel, in the people, person of Jesus, in the people of God through the book of Acts. And so having said that, the book of Acts has a lot of the markers of a true historical document, which is really just fascinating to know. Um, people say, oh, you know, is the Bible really true? Is it really, maybe people just made it up. There's a few things that make this uh, really like real history. A historian would say this, is, this has the markers of real history. First is the first person observations, that the guy was actually there and wrote it. Um, but the second thing is that he includes details of the story that otherwise would have been irrelevant. If you're just making up a story, you wouldn't put in a lot of irrelevant details. Um, you know, you just make up the details that go to the story. But, you know, he just includes all kinds of stuff because it's, it's actual history. So that's, that's really great to know. Um, it was also written very close to the events that happened. So that means that anybody who experienced it and saw it differently could have said, well, no, that wasn't right, I, I was there. You know, so there's a confirmation, corroboration amongst the people. The, the early church read, read this um, and saw that it was true. And finally, the last thing, and this is true of all of the Bible, in many cases, key people are painted in a less than, than, um, than nice way, not, not in a positive light, which again was very unusual for books written in that time. Usually the hero of the story always did the good thing. And yet, you know, all throughout the Bible, right? Not even just the New Testament, Old Testament, David, and you know, all the warts are shown. God shows the whole truth about his people and we know that therefore we can have some confidence. So we can have confidence that this book of the Bible is an accurate historical representation of what happened in the early church. I think that's beautiful. That's so valuable for us to know. So what does this mean for us? I love the fact we're going to start this series by talking about the beginning. See, the church is, is seen to have started at the coming of, Pente of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. We're going to talk about that next week. When the Holy Spirit came and fell, that was really the start of the church. But that was 50 days after the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. So there's this period of time, this little blank space before the church had actually started, but after the resurrection of Jesus. And that's where we're going to sit today because this is fascinating. This is the preparation for what God is going to do. He's saying, I want you to know a few things about my church before I even get started. 
All right, these are kind of like foundational truths about the church. And when we get confused in church work, we got to come back to the foundation, right? Like this is what we're about, all right? And so the first thing that was a historical fact that is a foundation of the church is that Jesus rose from the dead. That is foundational. I know this sounds obvious to maybe us sitting here, but the resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of what we do here. And he says it right in Acts, the very beginning of Acts. Let's read it. He says in Acts 1, 1 to 3, In my former book, Theophilus, so this is Luke speaking, right? His former book was Luke, the book of Luke. And now he says, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So this is the historical fact. He gave many proofs. He's alive. He's alive. He didn't die and just stay dead. He came alive. This is important. This is the foundation of everything we do. 1 Corinthians goes on as well to say that he appeared to more than 500 people. Let me read you this, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 8. Same period, this 50 days. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as one abnormally born. So we have all these eyewitnesses. Jesus made a point of saying, I'm going I'm to make sure a lot of people see me so that they realize I rose from the dead. This is real. This is the foundation of what the church is going to be built on. This is why the disciples went out and changed the world and, and died for this faith, because they saw him. They knew he was resurrected from the dead. This is important because Jesus wanted us to know that our, our faith and our church is based on fact, not on feeling. Not on feeling and experience. Now listen, I know most of us came to Jesus through, through experience or feelings, right? We were, you had an experience with God, we were feeling bummed out, and we, we got the love of Jesus in a new way, right? So n- not too many of us come to Christ, you know, checking out the intellectual reasons to come to him. Some of us do, but not, ever, you know, very, not so many of us do that. I know that's how God often speaks to us. But if you've walked with Jesus long enough, you know that there's going to be days and times and sometimes weeks and months and years where those feelings start to fade, where you don't always have an experience every day. It's like a marriage, right? You know, you, have to, you know that you're going to have those periods. Of, of, and what we know is that our faith is not based on all those experiences. It's based on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead that he forgave your sins, that, that you were in your sins, and he, he forgave you. By, by dying on the cross for you, your sins wiped away. So this is, this is the basis of our faith. And this is good if you ever end up moving on to another church. Maybe you move away, or maybe you decide to go to another church here in Greensboro. But when you, sometimes you walk into a church, and it's all about the feelings. It's all about the experience, and it's awesome, and oh, it's powerful, and everyone's weeping, and it's so great. But let me say something to you. If they are not preaching Jesus Christ crucified for your sins and risen from the dead, it is not a church. It's not a church. I don't care what other good things they do. It's not a church. Amen. So Apostle Paul says it best. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. There's no point to it. So this is just a foundation for us. We're always going to be about Jesus. It's the first thing we're about. It's the last thing we're about. It's about Jesus dying for our sins. 
and that we need him. We need to be reconciled to God, every one of us. And everyone we meet, they, we need to be reconciled to him. So that's the, first, that's the first foundational piece that God wanted to show us in those 50 days, this little period, this little period before the church really starts. Now the second one is even cooler, and that is that God gave the church a commission and the power to fulfill it. So we're going to continue right at the beginning of Acts here. We're just sitting in the Acts 1 today, Acts 1, 4 to 8, and he says this. This is while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority. See, they thought they were going to get the Holy Spirit and then God's going to do everything and it'll be all, all done. It'll be all, all ready. He says, nope, no, you, you have a job. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You and me, we're meant to do that. We're meant to spread. See, we have a commission. We have power that he gave us, and then a witness to give. It's not just the power. We can get caught up in just wanting the power. Especially in vineyard churches, we love, we love the Holy Spirit and him coming and he's going to do a healing work and he's going to touch me deep and I'm going to weep and I'm going to, I'm going to get all renewed and we love all that. But don't forget, that was just supposed to be to fill you up with power so you could go out and what? Be a witness. That's the, that's the job. It's not just to get all filled up. I hope we get all filled up. Let's get filled, filled, filled up here. But then we go out and we be a witness. That's what it's for. That's what it's for. And at the same time, we can't just be a witness without the power. We can't just go out and do good works and, and serve the poor and, and, and free the oppressed and, and talk about Jesus. We can't all do all that if we haven't got the Holy Spirit. There'll be no fruit from that, none at all. So we need the filling first. Everything we do to spread the gospel and to be a light in the world, feeding the poor, doing evangelism, Writing injustice, freeing the oppressed, it all has to be done by the power of the Spirit. We can have the most brilliant organization here. I can organize the heck out of this place and get everybody in their places, and I can speak all great, and then we have the music is top-notch. We can, we can do everything just right, but if we leave the Holy Spirit behind, there will be zero fruit. Zero fruit. The sad part is sometimes we don't notice. <laughs> if we see all the externals, we think, oh, good. We need the Holy Spirit. We need, we need to wait on the Holy Spirit. I love that Jesus says, wait for my spirit. Amen. Wait for it. We're not going to plow ahead and just do what seems right to do. We're going to wait for the Holy Spirit. In fact, I feel like that's a word for us, even as per people, as individuals today. Is there something in your life where you're wondering, do I do this or do I do that? Or maybe I should jump into that or maybe I shouldn't do that. Or maybe it's in ministry, maybe it's in, at home or at work. And I feel like the, the message to you is wait on the Holy Spirit. I don't care if it's secular work, spiritual work, church work, homework. Wait on the Holy Spirit and let him lead you. In fact, I kind of want to just take a minute right now. Just, just close your eyes. And think about the thing that you're trying to figure out what to do about. And just take a minute to wait. 
wait on the Spirit. Tell him, I'm not going to move forward, God, until you guide me. We receive your, your guidance, Lord. And where there's no guidance, we wait and we listen some more. Amen. Amen. So our, our, our church is based on the resurrection of Jesus, the, fact, the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus. We are given a commission and the power to fulfill it. There's one last thing that Jesus wanted us to know in this 50 days before, between his resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Before he even started his church, he wanted us to know how it was all going to end. The church has a glorious future. He wanted to make sure we knew before we even got started on this that I've already set up the end for you. I've already got it taken care of, and it's going to be great. And so right, again, we're just continuing in Acts 1, 9 to 11. After he said this, so this is right after he told them, you're going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea and the, and the earth. Then he says this, or, or this, the word says this, he was taken up, Jesus was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So the church age, as they call it, is from the coming of the Holy Spirit till this point when he comes back for us. And he's going to come back and he's going to take us home to a new heaven and a new earth. That's the end of this whole thing. Amen. Amen. This is just an intermission. This is an intermission before we get to the big show when we get to be with Jesus. He's going to take us, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 17, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we will be with the Lord forever. Hallelujah. Amen. That's, that's the future that's there for you, for this church. And so, boy, I want to be found ready, don't you? I want to be found doing the thing he told me to do. I'm not saying, oh, I'm going to get to that next week or, or when the pandemic is over. How many times do I hear, well, you know, once the, once the pandemic is over, then I'll get back to doing. I realize we have to change what we do during the pandemic, but no, let's be doing what God is calling us to do right now. He's calling us to do stuff even in the middle of this pandemic or wherever we are in it. Uh, God is calling us to do stuff right now. Prayers, ministry, reaching out to others, getting to know some people, having coffee with someone, getting into his word more, finding out who we are in Christ and getting some healing and getting some inner work done. He's calling us right now, every one of us, to, to step forward in our walk with him, to begin to be a witness out in our community, to stop being afraid of our neighbors, but just talk to them about Jesus, <laughs> to be bold. He's calling every one of us. He's, uh, he's given us commission and the power to fulfill it. And so let's be found doing his work. Amen? Amen. Let's be found doing it. Let's be found doing it. I uh, told you my testimony and calling last week uh, as part of the ordination service, which was so sweet for me. Um, and one of the things that was so interesting when I think back is that over the years, even though God was doing this like gradual calling of me over all those years, I still never really wanted to work in a church. Like that wasn't my thinking because I, I kind of, believe it or not, 
felt for a long time like it was kind of selling out to work for a church. Like this is the easy part because we're meant to be out in the world and reaching non-believers and people that are hurting and whatever. And, you know, like if, once you're in the church, you're already saved. So, you know, what else do you need, right? So uh, that was kind of my thinking, you know, why would I spend time in the church and, and doing my ministry in the church? And yet then over the years, even though I did a lot of work out of the church, you know, God just kept using me and putting me more and more in places of ministry within the church and teaching and leading and, and discipling and all of that. And somehow over those years, God began to birth in me this love for God's church. And I can only explain it by saying that, yes, I still feel like so much of what we need to be doing is outward focused, right? We need to be being witnesses. We need to be serving. We need to be standing with others out in the community. We need to be there and helping. But the, but the center of the wheel is the church. This is where we come together and we're, felt, we're filled up and we're strengthened, and we learn, and we get to know one another, and we support one another so that we can go out and then be his witnesses out in the world. Amen? Amen. This is where it starts. This is where it comes from. You don't, you're not meant to be lone ranger Christians out here doing great work. You might do great work. I'm sure God uses lots of people doing great work, but you're meant to be doing it in community, in the church, and getting filled up and supported and strengthened, and then going out to be his light in the world. And so I just love the church. I love it. I love that God's called me here. And I love that in the church, and this is less and less these days, right, can we say much about Jesus out in the world. But in the church, we can talk about Jesus all day long. <laughs> okay? This is what we're about here. And so we, without apology, we can talk about what he has done in our lives, and we can, bring, and we can encourage each other in ways to bring it out in a way that's winsome and loving and, and compelling. Christ's love compels us. It's in the church where new believers and seekers can, can ask questions. I want people who will ask questions. We don't have to have all the answers here. We don't even have to believe necessarily all of it here, right? We can be asking questions. Come, if you're a seeker, come, just ask questions. You don't have to have it all resolved and all figured out. None of us have it all figured out anyway. So new, that's, this is a place for those who are questioning, where else should they go? <laughs> but, but to the church, right? Amen. It's in the church that believers are built up and strengthened and, and encounter the holiness and the greatness of God in worship. That only takes place in the church where we can come together and worship him like this in community. Amen. It's in the church that we find healing and restoration freedom and forgiveness. We have moments of ministry at the end of service where you can come up and be prayed for by others who have an anointing of prayer. We have people with an anointing of prayer on them, and the Holy Spirit will work through them in your life. It's here in the church that we can minister like that to each other. It's here. That's what the church is. And then it's in the church where we get equipped so that we can be sent out. So we know how to give our testimony. So we know how to talk about Jesus. So we know what, how to understand people different than us and be able to serve and love people out in the community and do all the, the, the justice and compassion work we've been talking about. We, we, we learn together how to do that best in the church. That's what we do in the church. And I want to say that it's in the church that I find a spiritual family and the best friends I've ever had in the church. I have lots of really, really wonderful friends. But the best friends, I feel, have come from people that share the love of Jesus. I already feel it here, and I've only been here just a little bit, but we're just bonded together in a different way because we know Jesus. 
It's here where we find that love and that community. If you have not found it yet here at Gates of New Vineyard, I encourage you, start to get to know some of the awesome people here. Ask them to lunch, go out for coffee, take a walk in the park. Just this is, this is the place where God can really give you friends, friends who love you and love Jesus. And it's the church finally where I feel like I can belong, that it's a place of safety and love. I pray that this church would always be a place of safety, be a place where, where we act with integrity and love toward one another, and that this be a place of safety for anybody that walks in the door. This is God's bride. How beautiful is that, right? Amen? Isn't that beautiful? That's God's bride. I remember long, long, long before I became a paid staff person, I said, I love God's church. I want to be part of this. I want to be part of this. This is what I want to put my life into. So I hope today you're excited as we're going to get into this study of the book of Acts and the inc incredible way the church acted and behaved and how to be people of faith like that and to be people like, like the people that we had stand up, Gerard and Mike and, the, and, and uh, you know, Towries and, and um, Mylene and Andy, all these people that stood up and, and just people like them, ordinary people, that that's us. That's us. We're just ordinary people. And yet, and, and here's the thing. We may be all very different from different cultures, different experiences, different ages. Um, and we're also very different from the early Roman Christians. I mean, first century Christians, very different from them. Very different from Christians in the Middle Ages. Very different from Christians in the Renaissance. Even very different from Christians in the 20th century. Right? We're all so different. But we've all had the same incredible thing happen to every one of us which is that we encountered Jesus and he forgave us of our sins and filled us with his spirit. That's what connects us. I, I love to have this image of, you know, us getting together with some first century Christian, right? And, and, and we're looking at each other and like, we don't get each other at all. Like, you know, the culture is so different. Like we would not understand each other on any level except all one would have to say is, but Jesus. And then suddenly like the same miracle that happened in their lives is happening in our lives. Amen. So this is, this is why we, we, we are united as the body of Christ. This is how we come together. This is what God does, and this is how he's going to make us into an extraordinary people who will do extraordinary things for him. So let's pray. Lord God, I just, I just thank you for this church. I thank you that for the church, capital C Church, Lord, and just how beautiful it is, and how you have called us as a people to be your people who will, who will come together, the center of the wheel, come together in this place. Lord, we come together to do some things. We worship, we, 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 we hear a teaching, we, we get prayed for, Lord. All of this, Lord, that we come together to do, to learn and to be strengthened so that we can go out and be a light for you. So God, I pray you'd birth that in some of us. Lord, if we've kind of forgotten about that, we've gotten caught up in, in our own spiritual life, and that's good to, to get that squared away, but Lord, help us to remember that we're meant to go and, and, and be a witness out in the world. Lord, that there's so many out in our community who need to know you, Lord, who, who need love, need support, need friendship. They might need food. They might need a listening ear. Lord, make us your hands and feet, Lord. Make us your church. Make us your church. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.